You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Um, as Clint said, my name's Coleman Collins. Um, I came on staff here as a community groups pastor um, in January 1st, and then 2020 happened, right? So pandemic, murder hornets, Kanye West running for president, and I haven't seen anyone uh, for forever. So uh, well, welcome to CBC. If it's your first time here, uh, we just want to say welcome. Uh, if you're on our live stream or, or watching later, uh, thank you for joining us today. And we're in a strange time, but, but we're going we're gonna to look at back to our core values. If you've been here for any length of time, uh, you've heard the phrase, be the church. Like Clint said this morning, Bill says it every time he dismisses us. It's written on the walls, on our website. We all have a tattoo of it. We don't, but it's literally, we say it all the time, right? And sometimes we can forget what that means. And so we're on a series kind of returning to what does it look like for us to be the church, for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. And as Clint said, I'm preaching on community. And let's just address the awkwardness. I'm the community group's pastor. I'm preaching on community. And some of you want to get up and leave because you're not in a community group. And so basically the whole point of this sermon is to shame you and to get you into a group, okay? I'm kidding. I'm preaching on community, not community groups. Um, And shameless plug, I'd love for you to get in a group. And I'd love to talk with you about it later. We have several groups starting up uh, all around Savannah. Have 30 groups now. Uh, We should have 36, 37 uh, in September. So we'd love to chat with you. Let's move on past that uh, into community. Um, so I uh, was brushing my teeth yesterday morning, thinking about the sermon. Um, and brushing my teeth for me is two minutes of boredom. Has anyone else experienced this before? And what I do, uh, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand some during this, which is fine. You can just sit there awkwardly. Um, what I do when I'm, when I'm bored brushing my teeth is, <laughs> is I read the labels in the bathroom, okay? Has anyone, is anyone brave enough to say they've done this? Anyone? Okay, I'm the only one. Vulnerable moment here. I read labels while I'm brushing my teeth. And so uh, today or yesterday, I was on the toothbrush, toothpaste label, okay? We got new toothpaste, Crest, um, extra whitening. And I was on the label at the bottom of the label. I'd never seen this before. There are instructions on the toothpaste, okay? Let that sink in, all right? And not instructions on like how to brush your teeth, instructions on how to get the toothpaste out of the tube and onto your brush, the bristles of your brush, right? And so I don't know who, like what need they're addressing. Like what person is standing there in front of their mirror with a toothpaste and the toothbrush and saying, oh no, I don't know how to do this. Let me read the label and see if something tells me how. Okay, it's something that before you could even read, hopefully you've been brushing your teeth. You know how to do this. It's second nature by now, okay? And the, but the, the need that it's addressing is, it says, what it says on there is for best results, squeeze the tube from the end, flattening as you go, okay? Because some of you squeeze that thing right in the middle, don't you? You just grab that tube and you go, and you squeeze it out. And, and what happens is halfway through the tube, all your toothpaste is crammed down at the other end. And then you've got to like do this process and it's all mangled. It's just, it's just the pain, right? So it's teaching those of you that think you've got it down. Hey, you don't know how to do this. This is how you squeeze toothpaste out, Okay. Why do I share that with you? Um, Because we're gonna be stepping into this toothpaste instruction moment in the gospels. Okay, a moment where Jesus, hey there, Jesus is, um, is giving his disciples instructions on something they've been doing their whole lives, okay? He's giving them instructions on how do you be a friend and have friends? How do you have community together? 
What does that look like? And, And the reality is that all of us have had relationships since we were yay high, right? We, we've been in friendships, we've been in relationships. We, we got this down, right? We, we know how to do this. But Jesus says, well, I, I, actually, I don't know if you do. Um, and so what he does is he lays out one sentence for the disciples that says, this is how you have godly, encouraging community, relationships with one another. And that's where we're gonna go today is we're gonna look at that sentence together. And this is this in John 13. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there together. Um, John 13, and we're gonna start in verse 33 and 34. And Jesus says this, he says, little children, he refers to his disciples like that, yet a little while I am with you. You seek me, and just as, as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Okay, what is he saying? He's basically saying, hey guys, I'm, I'm leaving So this moment right here, within 12 hours, Jesus is gonna be tried before um, the high priest. He's gonna be tried before Pontius Pilate. He's gonna be shouted at the crowds and he's gonna be on a cross in 12 hours. Disciples have no idea about this. So this is his last moment, right? This is the beginning of his last sermon to his disciples. What's he gonna say? Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also or to love one another. This is his moment. This is the thing he wants to tell them, that the, I'm about to die. Let me tell you what the, the one thing I want you to know, and it's this, love one another just as I have loved you. And so where we're gonna go today is we're gonna say, what, what just happened? Because he said, love one another. What does that mean? There's a, one another is this reciprocal word, right? It's, it's if I tell you to feed one another lunch, you're gonna understand that I'm not telling you to eat yourself. I'm telling you to feed one another. It's a weird image, right? You'd be like, I, I can feed myself, thank you. But, but it's, you're feeding one another lunch, right? It's kind of like that marriage thing. You eat the cake together, right? You wrap elbows, it's kind of weird. That's what it's like, this one another relationship. And, and where we're going is we're gonna look at the story that just happened right before this, this phrase that Jesus said. Because he's saying, just as I have loved you right here, what just happened, what I did, what I demonstrated in this moment, that's how I want you to love one another. So we're gonna spend the rest of this sermon at the beginning of John 13 saying, what is he talking about? What just happened here? This is where we're going. First, we're gonna look at three things about Christian community. First, we're gonna look at the me loving you part of Christian community. How do we, the giving part of loving one another. And then we're gonna look at the receiving part of loving one another. And then finally, we're gonna look at how does the gospel impact our encouragement to one another. So let me pray again uh, before we jump into the word, if you wanna close your eyes with me. Father, thank you so much that this is your word and you promise that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And God, I pray that you would be glorified, that your word would be lifted up, that we would bank our lives on your word as truth. God, you have something for each of us in this room from this passage today. God, I pray that you give me grace to preach it faithfully. And Lord, let let us all listen. Listen in. What, What do you have for us today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. John 13, verse one. Let's hop in. So let me give you a quick context. Uh, The disciples are going back and forth. This is the the final week of Jesus's life. And there's this big Passover feast that lasts a week long. Pretty cool, huh? Think about Thanksgiving for a week. And it's in Jerusalem. And so the disciples and Jesus are staying in Bethany with some friends and they're traveling two miles back and forth to Jerusalem. So we step into this passage and they're, they're traveling in. They've walked two miles in Um, and they're coming into the upper room. 
If you've heard of that before, it's the upper room. It's where they have the last supper with the disciples. And they're coming in there after this long journey for the Passover meal, which is this big meal um, with the disciples. And so this is, this is what happens. John 13, verse one. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. All right, let me stop us there. We've got more to read, but that was confusing, okay? I just read it. I'm confused. What's going on? Because John is adding a lot of extra commentary in there. He's adding little, he's like telling you a little bit and then he's adding some statements. So I'm gonna read it as if I'm gonna take John's commentary out and just read what just happened. Now, before the feast of the Passover, during supper, Jesus rose from supper, okay? So now before the feast of the Passover, during supper, Jesus rose for supper. That's what I just read. Let's keep going. Verse four, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. All right, so what's happening here? When Jesus came into the upper room that night, um, well, let's actually back up for a second, I'm sorry. So, so let me give you some kind of background on what went on in that time. When, when they walked from Bethany, Jerusalem, two miles, okay? They wore sandals, all right? Sandals, they had dirt roads, and a lot of animals on those dirt roads, okay? So you can imagine the combination, the roads are nasty, right? There's no sanitation, there's no department that's coming sweeping the streets, nasty roads, they're walking two miles, they get to Jerusalem, they're exhausted. It's that night, they're walking in the upper room, dinner time, they're ready to eat, and they walk in on this awkward scene, okay? This super awkward scene. And what, what, why is it awkward? It's awkward because in that day and time, you would hire a foot washer, okay? Someone to wash your nasty feet before you ate dinner. And it was culturally inappropriate for, for people to do that to one another. So it was basically this foot washer would come in and they walk into the upper room and there is a party foul, right? Huge party foul. I don't know how many of you have been to a tailgate, like a Super Bowl party? Probably most of us uh, because we live in America. And, and you come in and you assign people different things, right? Someone's got the brownies, someone's got the Coke, someone's got the chips and someone's got the salsa, right? Y'all with me so far? So what happened is, is they walked in and they look at the table and they see there's Coke, there's brownies, there's salsa, but somebody forgot the chips. And let me tell you, at a tailgate, chips are essential. The essential ingredient, don't forget anything with chips because you can't drink that sweet, yummy goodness of the Coca-Cola with a brownie. Two sweet things don't go together, right? You need that salty goodness of the chip and, and you can't have the salsa without the chip, can you? Like that, that homemade mango spicy salsa and everyone's gathered around there saying, how are we gonna get that in our mouths? We can't because Philip forgot the chips, right? Party foul. So it's awkward. They're milling around. What are we gonna do? They just decide, okay, let's sit down, have dinner. This is really awkward. Let me tell you why it's even more awkward. 
nasty feet, no foot washer. They're sitting down. And if you have the image that they're sitting down to dinner in a chair, like Jesus, carpenter, making a chair in his, in his room, that's not, that's not what they, they didn't make chairs, right? They reclined, okay? Their tables were about yay high. And, and when they would eat, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm actually gonna demonstrate this. When they would eat, they would recline, all right? So they would get down like this and they would eat like this, okay? Y'all with me? No one's ever done this on stage here, have they? So they would eat right here. And here's the awkward thing about it, okay? Because my, my head and James's feet are like seven inches away from one another, right? And my feet and Philip's head are like seven inches away. And so this is the awkwardness of this moment. They are face to face with one another's feet. Nasty, stinky, yucky feet, right? So this is an awkward moment. And, and, and what it says is, is when they reclined, Jesus stood up. There's this kind of like moment that happens here. And, he, and it's almost like you can cut the, the awkwardness with a knife and he walks over and he ties this towel around his waist and gets the basin and fills it with water. And then he begins to wash their feet. This is where we're gonna stop for a second and look at our first point on Christian community. And that is be self-giving. Be self-giving. What do you, what do you mean by that? Um, when Jesus arrived at the upper room, he was there to serve. He was there to give. He was there not, not to receive, not to have a good time. This is his final dinner with his boys, right? He's not there to have a good time. He's there to give, right? Whereas the disciples, they walk in and they look around. There's no, where's, the foot, where's the foot washer? Oh no, oh no, who's gonna wash my feet? Who's gonna do it, right? They're there to receive. They're there, they're there. I'm here to have a good time, to be encouraged. But Jesus walked in, looked around, hmm, no foot washer. I'm the foot washer. I'm the foot washer. That first reaction, he came to give, and you see this throughout Jesus's life. At every moment of his ministry, he comes to pour out and to give again and again and again. And so when there was no foot washer, he knew he was the foot washer. Jesus imitating community is self-giving. It says, I'm not here for me, I'm here for you. I'm not here for me, I'm here for my brothers and sisters. I'm here for one another. That's why I'm here today. This is the loving others side of one another. Is when I walk into a room, my priority is not that I get my wants and my needs and my desires met, is that I get your needs and your desires met, is that I come to serve and not to be served. And there's this brand of Christianity in America that a lot of the church and, and a lot of us in this room have bought into, and it's consumerism. It's, it's coming to receive, and it's, and it's the church shopping brand. It's the, it's the, well, I'll stop here for a little bit. I like the worship. And ooh, the worship got weird. So I'm gonna come here. I like the preaching. It's convicting. It makes me feel really good about myself. Or, or I, like the, the, I like, we have cushy seats here and not pews. Whew, thank you. Or we have really good coffee. We have perk coffee. They have Maxwell House. Ain't going there. I'm going to get the perk coffee, right? We come to receive. And it's this consumeristic mentality. And it seeps into the church and it can seep into our community as well. Our friendships, our relationships. We can come and, and, and meet with somebody for coffee and, 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 and the reason we're there is because that person makes me feel good about myself. Or we go into our community group saying, I wonder how good this is gonna be tonight. Or we come to a Bible study wanting to be encouraged. Or we come here and it's like, we're here to receive, to suck, to, to give. And, that, and that's a good thing to wanna grow. But at the end of the day, Jesus imitating community is a self-giving community. It gives of itself to one another. And it's so easy to live for ourselves, isn't it? We're hardwired by our sinful nature to live for ourselves. And 2 Corinthians 5, 15, Paul's writing to this church that's in a similar scenario that we are in America. It's the church in Corinth. 
And they were this metropolis of luxury. They were in this trade route and, and there was so much money and wealth and luxury in, in, in this place. And, and they would spend themselves and, and live for themselves here. And, and Paul is writing to this church in the middle of this culture that's, that's very similar to our own. And he says this, Jesus died for all that those who live, aka us, might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Jesus died for you so that you might no longer live for yourself, but for him. And when Paul's writing this, it's not a, okay, you're a Christian now. I'm sorry, but you can't live for yourself anymore. Or you're a Christian now, but you don't get to live for yourself anymore. That's not the phrase here. The phrase here is that you might not. He's saying, you don't have to live for yourself anymore. You don't have to chase after those things. You don't have to live for you. You have the freedom to live for someone else, for Jesus. You've been bought into that. And those of us, which is all of us, who have tasted a life of living for ourselves, of chasing after money and food and reputation and a job and power and alcohol and drugs and whatever it is to, 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 to satisfy our own souls, to live for ourselves, we know the morning after feeling. We know the futility of that. It's empty. It's utterly empty. And so Paul is saying, guys, you don't have to live for yourself anymore. You can live for Jesus. That's why he died for you. Let me just take a moment right now to invite you. If, if you're in this room and you haven't taken, if you haven't said, I'm sick of myself, I'm sick of living for me, I wanna live for another. If you haven't followed Jesus, then I just wanna invite you. There is something much better than a life revolving around you. And it's a life lived for the glory of God. And you can have that life today. He died for you to save you from living for yourself and to bring you to the life of freedom and joy and life in him. Also, I wanna invite some of you that have, that have been drifting, like Clint said earlier, where you're a Christian, you're following Jesus, but man, the last five months have been rough. Or the last five years have been rough. And, and, you've, and you've started running for joy in your job or in your family or in your kids or whatever it is, and, and you've quit living for Christ. And I just wanna invite you back. There is life found in living for Christ. And there's futility and emptiness found in living for yourself. But that's the Christian life. It's a life for, of living for Christ and serving others. So let me ask you, what would happen if you quit living for yourself in your marriage? What would happen if you stepped into your community group or Bible study or close relationships with the mentality of I'm here to give, I'm here to love, I'm here to serve? What would happen is if you took a Saturday afternoon and, and watched the kids of a single mom so she could get a break? What would happen if you began to live your life for other people, to serve them and to love them? What would happen if you went in search of community, not to have a place to receive, but have an outlet to give? Be self-giving. Um, we're gonna continue with our story. The story continues and, and Jesus just started washing their feet, right? So he's going around the circle, going around the table, washing feet. And he's about probably six people in and Peter's there and, it, and it's quiet, okay? This is an awkward moment, but for those people that are getting their feet washed, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's like, I can't believe he's doing this. This is Jesus. He is the king of the universe and he is doing what only the, a servant would do. This is, this is inappropriate. This is scandalous. This is incredible. But it's this moment of being loved that they're having. And then it gets to Peter and Peter, like normal, sticks his big old foot in his mouth, okay? And he, and he says, no, not me. You ain't washing my feet. Not today, no, sir. 
right? That's what Peter says. And it's this awkward moment where Jesus is trying to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's like, uh-uh, not washing my feet, okay? And Jesus said, yeah, I, I need to. Peter says, never, right? And those of you that have lived life know never is a dangerous word. But he said, never, you're never gonna wash my feet, okay? And Jesus says, yeah, but I have to. What's going on in this moment? This is where we see the receiving end of love one another. There's a giving end, but there's also a receiving because being loved by other people is not automatic. Just because someone's trying to love you doesn't mean you're actually gonna receive their love. There's a receiving component. And in order to allow others to love you, you've got to be real. So the next point, be real. So many of us are like Peter, right? How you doing? Good, great, life's good. How's the job? Awesome, it's good. It's really, really, really good. How's, how's your marriage? Awesome. How are your kids? They're perfect, they're perfect. Excelling in school, they haven't disobeyed me once, ever, right? My family is awesome, right? How's your job? I'm thriving, I'm making tons of money. Got the beach house, got it. You know, it's like, I'm, everything's great and we, and we buy into this, right? Romans 12, nine says this. It says, let your love be genuine. Let your love be genuine. And that word for genuine is anupokritas. Anupokritas in the Greek. An meaning not. Hippocritas meaning with hypocrisy. So he's saying, let your love be without hypocrisy. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is not something we use a lot except we're referring to Christians really. Um, but it's a, it means an actor. It means someone with a mask on, someone who's pretending. So what Paul's saying here is let your love be without pretending. Let your love be without a mask, let it be real. And not this mask, right? This mask, the mask that hides you from other people. Let your love be real. There's another brand of Christianity um, that I would say probably more people in this room fit into, and I definitely do. And, and we've got the, um, the giving part down, right? I'm on the, we're on the welcome team, we're on the greeting team, we're on the coffee team, we're on the hospitality team, we're on the parking team. We lead a community group, we lead a Bible study fellowship group, we're in a Bible study. If the doors were open, we're here serving other people, right? We're poor on Saturdays, we're doing everything, right? We're giving and giving and giving, right? But if, if you ask me how my day is, if I ask you, how are you doing? It's the Peter smile. I'm fine, my feet are clean, right? There ain't any dirt on here, I'm good, right? Look at Philip's feet. He's got a big, nasty green thing. Just move on to him. My feet are okay, right? Life's good, right? And we can buy in to this so easily. One of my favorite Christmas movies, which I, there's Christmas, so stores have Christmas stuff now, um, which is awesome. I, I want Christmas songs to start in July. I'm one of those people. And I love Christmas. One of my favorite Christmas movies is the Santa Claus. How many of you have seen the Santa Claus? Okay, um, those of you that haven't, go home today and watch it. It's not too early. Um, the Santa Claus is, is this movie and, is, and Tim Allen is the actor that plays the Santa Claus in this movie. And there's this other guy in the movie named Neil, okay? And Neil is Tim's son's stepdad. And Neil doesn't believe that Scott Calvin is Santa Claus, okay? Y'all following me so far? He doesn't believe it. And, he, and he's try, he thinks that Scott Calvin is out of his mind. But there's this moment in the movie and they're at Neil's house and they're all gathered around. There's Bernard the elf there and, and Santa Claus is in full regalia. He looks like the Coca-Cola Santa Claus, which is incredible. And Neil's there and, and it strikes Neil that, that this is Santa Claus. Scott Calvin is Santa Claus. And, 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 he, and, and it's kind of this moment where he's looking at him. It's like, are you real? And he pulls on his beard and he pokes him. And, and it's this moment of like, 
really? Are you real? Are you really Santa Claus? And, and I feel like that sometimes when I talk to Christians, okay? It's like, is life really that good? <laughs> like, is, are, you, are you sure? Because you haven't stopped smiling, right? It's just glued on your face, right? And I need to know if you're struggling. I need to know if you're depressed. I need to know if you're anxious about work. I need to know if you're getting angry at your kids, if you're getting impatient with your wife. I need to know if, you're, if your life's falling apart, if you're losing your job. I need to know those things because I need to love you. I need to serve you. And if you don't let me in, then I can't. You're robbing me of that opportunity. In order to let me love and serve you, you've got to let me wash your smelly feet. You've got to show me those smelly feet. You can't keep covering them up and ignoring the situation. You've got to show me your smelly feet to let me love you. There's a, there's a genuine realness. We need to be real with one another. And before I continue, let me, let me just clarify who is one another, right? Because I don't want this to happen. I don't want, you know, how you doing, man? Bad. Life's bad. Marriage is bad. Everything's bad. It's like, Okay, I'm Coleman, nice to meet you. I'm gonna go over here, right? It's not anybody, right? It's not the person next to you on the pew. It's not the person maybe that you see every once in a while that's a Christian. We don't, we don't be real with everyone in that depth, but, but we're, we're real with people that are in committed, deep relationship with us that are, that are believers. When I, uh, this was a couple weeks ago. I was over at a buddy's house, we're playing darts. Um, and Clint was there. I don't know if you ever played darts with a six eight guy, um, but it's just kind of, you know, completely unfair. Um, but uh, dur- during one of the games, uh, my buddy and I were, were sitting out waiting for a game. It had like 10 minutes. And, and it was this moment of, we keep it shallow, keep it real. I know this guy, we, we catch up every, every six, seven months and keep it shallow. Or I could take this awkward step into depth. And, and, I, and I decided to, I took the dive and I said, man, how's your walk with the Lord going? And after he got off the shock of, whoa, it was like, man, thanks for asking. And we got in this 10 minute conversation. It was 10 minutes and I walked away from that two hour dart night excited and pumped up and encouraged because of that 10 minute conversation. And and, and that's good. And that's necessary. These, These encouraging conversations and that's a beginning. But guys, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is, is people that know you deeply and, 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 and are committed to loving and serving you. Because a lot of us in this society have exchanged social media and text messages for real relationships. And we've lost sight that I need people to know me. I need people to love me. I need people that that can see my smelly feet and love me anyway. I need to be able to receive that love. So what does this look like? What does this anupokritas, this without pretending love look like? Well, one thing, a challenge, you share the whole picture. Share the whole picture. That's what it means to be real. Some of us uh, confess sin and share struggles like a merry-go-round, right? It's like a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there. And we don't want to burden anyone too much, right? But before we know it, no one's got a full picture. This guy thinks that only this is happening. This person thinks this. No one knows the, the full extremity of the struggle in your life. And so if we keep sharing struggles like that, no one knows the whole picture. You need people in your life who know the whole picture. They know time and time again how your marriage is struggling or time and time again how you're lonely or time and time again how, how, how you're struggling to love and parent your kids. They need to know the full picture in your life. Are you doing that? Do you have people in your life that know the whole picture? 
The next thing is don't wait for them to ask you. We do that, don't we? It's like, if they ask me the right question, I'll share, right? It's like, if you ask me, how is your marriage? Like, are you getting angry with your kids? Yes, right? Well, we wait until someone asks us, don't wait. It's not up to them, it's up to you. Share, say, man, I'm struggling, I need help. Can we meet? Or man, my marriage is falling apart. Or man, I'm so lonely in this season of singleness. Or man, I, I'm, I've got this burden in my life, this hardship, and I need to share it with somebody. Can you, can you come over and let's talk about it? We need to initiate. Are you initiating those hard and dark areas of your life with people that love you deeply? I challenge you to do that today. So Jesus finally gets past Peter, okay? We're, we're back in John 13. He gets past Peter, whew, that was, that was rough. He gets all the way around the table, he's done. And John, this is where John's commentary helps us a little bit in this story. John says this uh, in verse 10. Um, Jesus makes this comment and he says, you are clean, but not every one of you. And then John says this, he says, for Jesus knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And guys, that moment stands out really powerfully to me because what that means is that Judas was sitting there around the table and Jesus, looking up into Judas's eyes, washing his nasty feet, knew in six hours, Judas was gonna lead a troop of soldiers to arrest Jesus. One of his closest friends was about to betray him. And yet he still washed his feet. But that's not the only thing. He also washed Peter's feet. You know about Peter, the one that just spoke up? Well, in six hours, Peter's gonna deny that he ever knew Jesus three times. And not only Peter, actually all of, all of Jesus' disciples are gonna turn tail and run and abandon him when the guards show up. And Jesus knows this. He's washing the feet of people that are gonna turn their back on him. He's washing the feet of people that are gonna betray him and deny him and abandon him. And yet he's joyfully washing their feet anyway. Which leads us to the third point which is be gospel, be gospel. Gospel is good news, that's what it means. Good spell, gospel, good news. Spell is a story, so good news. Be good news to one another. See, Jesus loved all of his disciples, no matter their brokenness. He knew the brokenness in their lives. He knew the betrayal they were gonna do, and yet he loved them anyway. Why? Why did he do that? Because the gospel is not about perfect people hanging out and having a good time. The gospel is not about people who have it together encouraging one another. The gospel is not about these, it's, it's about brokenness. It's about broken people. You're broken, I'm broken. We're all broken, aren't we? We're sinners and we need grace. And the gospel is about broken people loving and being loved by one another. It's a bunch of broken human beings who've been loved by God given the Holy Spirit and are vessels of grace in one another's lives. A bunch of broken humans who've been loved by God, given the Holy Spirit and are vessels of grace in one another's lives. So how do we be gospel? How do we be good news to one another in the midst of our brokenness? How, how do I encourage my brothers and sisters when their life is falling apart? I'll tell you how the world does it. You got it. Come on, man. Pick it up. I believe in you. You can do this. Yeah, just keep fighting. Keep, Dave, here's, here's what I did, and it worked, right? Here's five steps. Here's a book. I read this book, and it was really good for me. Read this book, right? You got this. I believe in you. That's how the world encourages one another. That's how the world lifts one another up. 
But guys, when I'm drowning in the sea of life and I can't swim, I don't need you to shout at me from the bank and tell me I got this. I don't need that. I need you to dive in and swim out there and drag me to the shore of Christ's love. Drag me to the safe ground of following Jesus. That's what I need in those moments because here's the reality. You don't got this. You don't. I don't got this. Nobody's got this. We don't, right? You don't got this in your marriage and you don't have this in your job and you don't got this with your kids and you don't got this in your struggles with sin. And that's the gospel. None of us have it together. That's why Jesus came and died. Guys, we don't need superficial encouragement. We need supernatural grace. And we need to be grace bringers in one another's lives. When I'm in the throes of my sin or the depths of my struggle, I don't need someone to come alongside me and give me a nudge and say, man, this can be okay. I need someone to say, man, I know you're struggling and that's okay because Jesus loves you in the middle of that. In the middle of that nastiness, in the middle of that sin, with those smelly feet, he loves you anyway. That's the gospel. That's how we one another one another. That's how we love one another like Jesus loved us. We need to be gospel to one another. We need to be good news in one another's lives. And you need the same in your life. You need people that are gonna speak God's truth into your insufficiencies and your suffering and your struggles. Do you have that? Do you have gospel people in your life who know you and are committed to you and love you? And, and guys, I, I'd be willing to bet most of us don't. I'd be willing to bet most of this room don't, might not have those people. And I would encourage you, take a step. Take a step towards it. I don't know what that step is for you. It might be a community group. It might be a Bible study. It might be calling up one of your friends and saying, hey man, I know we keep it shallow, but I need to go deep. I need, I need, I need someone in my life who can, who can meet with me and encourage me I need to have an outlet to love and give. Will you do that? Will you reach out? Will you take the next step in deep community? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much um, that our community, our love for one another is not about us. It's not about what we can give. It's not about who we are. It's about your self-sacrificial, self-giving real love for us. And God, I pray that as CBC, as this church, that we would not be content to remain shallow, but that we would go deep, Lord, that we would deeply encourage and deeply love and deeply serve one another as you have loved and served us. God, I, I pray for, for people to come around one another um, in this room and, 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 to, and to lift one another up in their moments of deepest struggle and deepest suffering, Lord. We pray that it would be empowered by your grace, by your spirit. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen.